Dear listener, I just want to let you know there are new products right now, right now, at the Politocrat Daily Podcast online store. I really do think you will love these items that I have designed. That's right, yours truly, Omar Moore here, to tell you about some brand new items of merchandise available at the Politocrat Daily Podcast store. Some new items. This lovely t-shirt. The Lava Life. Lava Life and Podcast Life. Now, you might think those things aren't connected, but when you think about it, the sound of someone's voice sonorously in your ear as you sit and listen or stand and listen or walk and listen or sleep and listen (laughs) to your podcast, to this podcast. And I think you'll like these t-shirts. And there's some other ones on the way too. Oh my gosh. Wait till you see some of the other stuff that I've got lined up for you at the Politocrat Daily Podcast online store at the-politocrat.myshopify.com. Welcome to the Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Saturday, April the 10th, 2021. On this edition of The Politocrat, Black Vac. Vaccinations and the black community. It isn't that we need a better attitude. It is that we need better vaccine Access. That is the truth of the matter. Plus, how do you think you have done over the last year or so with this pandemic? When you look at your own behavior, how would you grade yourself if you were into giving a grade or a number out of 10 for how you have handled yourself during this pandemic, how you've coped with it, how you have responded to it in terms of mask wearing, washing hands, cleaning groceries before you uh, pack them away or when you come home. How have you dealt with all of that? What would you give yourself as a grade? one in Texas. Ground ball to shortstop. Kim will go to first. The San Diego Padres get their first no-hitter in the history of the franchise. And it belongs to San Diego's own Joe Musgrove, sending the Friar faithful into a frenzy. I'll tell you what, Donnie, if it took this long, it's been well worth it. Who says you can't come home? That's what Bon Jovi asked, didn't they? (laughs) John Bon Jovi asked that question, didn't he? Who says you can't come home? A hometown kid from San Diego last night pitched the first no-hitter in the history of the San Diego Padres. Major League Baseball 
and the San Diego Padres finally have the word no-hitter connected to them in a good way. Because the San Diego Padres, up until last night, had been the team in the major leagues of baseball here in North America that was the most often without a single hit in games that they played against opposition. There were, I think, no less than nine teams or nine different occasions where San Diego had failed to get a hit in a game. In fact, the San Francisco Giants did it to them twice. At least twice. Once down in San Diego and once up here in San Francisco. And I think twice in one season or twice in the space of a couple of years. It might have even been three different times that the San Francisco Giants have been able to shut down the San Diego Padres without any of the San Diego Padres batters getting a base hit. Which, for those who don't follow baseball or care about baseball, means that a player is able to reach base, first base at least, by virtue of a fielder not being able to make a fielding play on the baseball to throw out that person before they reach the first base or second base or third base or home plate. That's a base hit. Sometimes it can be scored an error. Sometimes it can be scored whatever. But <laughs> for the San Diego Padres to finally do this themselves, to finally shut down another team, to stop that team from getting a hit, that's a great accomplishment. Only took them 8,206 games. But better late than never. Welcome back. So, you know, I, I just hope you're having a good Saturday. I really do. I hope you are in as best a shape as you can be in, given all that you are encountering in this world and in your daily life. I do promise you one thing. This episode will be a lot shorter than the last few have been. Because there's just been a lot going on the last few days. Well, there's always a lot going on, you know? And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes there's some topics that <laughs> require um, either a longer exposition or some editing from yours truly or <laughs> a lot of other things. But I do endeavor to have a shorter engagement with you on this episode um, because I just want to make this a little bit shorter but no less pertinent to what is going on I had a quick peek at the New York Times today 
And there was something on the front of it on the web page that said that in the world, two out of every 100 people worldwide, two out of every 100 people have had coronavirus. Two out of every 100. In the United States, according to the graphic on the front page of the New York Times website when I looked at it today, in the United States, nine people out of every 100 have had the coronavirus. Nine people, almost five times as many people out of every 100. We are supposed to be here in the United States, the richest nation on earth. And it's true that the United States is the richest nation on earth, but it is not necessarily, in my view, the richest of heart in the world at all. We can certainly look back at the previous administration, the illegal administration that we had over the last four years, definitely. And they are largely to blame. I would say that while Joe Biden now in, is into his 81st day in the White House as president of the United States, one thing that I do scratch my head about, and it's not really much to do with President Biden or Vice President Harris or even, well, I'll just leave it like this. How in the richest country on the planet, the United States of America, is there a vaccine supply shortage? How is that possible, dear listener? I do not understand why there would be any kind of vaccination shortage, a shortage of vaccines specifically in this country when we all know or people who follow this closely know that the United States of America has stockpiles and stockpiles and stockpiles of this vaccination, of this vaccine, excuse me. Stockpiles of vaccine. How come there's the so-called shortage in some states? How is there a shortage in California? How is there a shortage in some of these states? People were being vaccinated in California in December of last year when the vaccinations began around the second week of December or so. People were being vaccinated throughout December in California and other parts of the country. All of the famous people got their vaccines, the vast, well, not all of them, but many of those who are famous and high visible got their vaccinations in either December or in January. You saw on that stage at the U.S. Capitol on January the 20th, the inauguration day for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, you saw celebrities hugging each other, kissing each other. They were they no mask on. They were vaccinated. Trust me, 
they were vaccinated. So where is all of where's all this vaccine gone? Where is all the vaccine gone? I think it's a kind of I'm thinking of a Pete Seeger song. Pete Seeger, the great and now late great activist and singer and songwriter and folk singer and everything else. He what a, a towering even though he was a small and slight man, he was a real troubadour for, for, for justice. And he said it in his songs. And it's his song, I think if, if I'm getting it wrong, please tell me, those of you who know Pete Seeger's songs, where have all the flowers gone? I mean, where has all the vaccine gone? How come... Here in California, for example, there's this news that J&J, as it's called, Johnson & Johnson, which is, it seems, their vaccine's becoming a little bit more problematic if you believe the news that's coming through about J&J, as it's being called, Johnson & Johnson for short. J&J. But... That there's a supply shortage of Johnson and Johnson vaccine, and there's been these allergic reactions, and there was someone on local news here in San Francisco yesterday saying, "Well, you know, well, we vaccinate thousands of people here every day at this checkpoint in this county. I think it's Santa Clara County or some county um, in the Northern California Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, that has a high incidence of." a high incidence of coronavirus. And this guy is saying, I think he's an official who works um, as part of the group of people who vaccinate others. And he's saying, well, we get 6,000 people here a day and there's maybe, you know, 10 or 15 people or 10 people or five people who have really allergic and really bad reactions. So, you know, no. We have 6,000 people and there's 10 or so who have bad reactions and or 19 or what I forgot the number, but it was under 20 out of the 6,000 that he was talking about per day. Well, you know, you get bad. I mean, yeah, that may not be a lot to the average person uh, or to you listening or to anybody or to this guy who's talking this way, but try telling those 19 or 6 or 10 people that, well, there's only 10 people who had these severe reactions to the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. I, You know, again, this is a lot of this is about rich people buying up vaccine, rich governments or governments from rich countries, UK, US, buying up so much vaccine. There's been reports in The Guardian about this and buying up all this surplus of vaccine and then holding it hostage over the countries who are poorer to the point in which you've got these countries all over the world that are poorer than poor and made so because of the United States and because of the UK and the history and the colonialism and the plundering and the civil wars that have started um, 
through the U.S., instigated by, I mean, there's all kinds of things. And then these countries are impoverished, not because they just woke up and said, oops, I'm poor, but because the United Kingdom had this really bloody history of colonializing three-fifths of the world. And some of that world included the African continent, included India, included, I can go on and on, right? What became Australia, what became, I can go on and on and on ad, ad infinitum. But this is a real problem. How is it that with all of this money that we throw away every year in the United States, that we can't get people vaccinated? Meaning, we don't have supposedly enough vaccine to go around. How is that even possible? I can guarantee you, and I've said this before, I believe, on this podcast, that rich people in the United States of America and in the United Kingdom have not ever had a problem getting vaccinated from COVID-19. Now, if you are rich, please email me at politocratpod at gmail.com to tell me that you had a problem with the vaccine. You or rather you had a problem getting vaccinated. Please tell me that you have, if it's true. If you have had a problem and you're rich getting vaccinated, please email me at politocratpod at gmail.com. I don't think I'm going to get any email responses unless somebody is playing the fool. Everybody plays the fool sometimes. No exception to the rule. Listen, baby. <laughs> oh, gosh. When this, if this podcast gig ever... <laughs> There's another career. Now, you know, if, if, the, if the legal career just... <laughs> I'm saying this to you, dear listener, because you and I both know that people who are rich don't have problems with access to vaccination. They don't have any problems. I know of stories, personally know of stories, of people who are well off and people I know through people I know whose kids have been vaccinated already. No underlying health problems, no issues with anything in terms of side effects or any, I mean, any things, pre-existing conditions that would give rise to issues. No, nothing. They're not, not, or, or not eligible otherwise in any category. And these are people in their 20s. They're not essential workers because if they are, assumedly, if they are the children of rich parents, 
They're not most likely, in all likelihood, and of course there always are exceptions, they're not going to be essential workers. Right? They're not going to be doing that, most likely. And there are always exceptions. But I hear stories of 20-year-olds vaccinated back in January, in December. No, no category that would have given them rise to have problems, but they all got vaccinated. Some of these people got vaccinated. While the poor and predominantly people who are black people, people who are brown, people who are can't get this vaccination if they paid to get it, which they're not doing. None of us are. I hope no one's being charged. I mean, your insurance, I mean, I guess you if you do one, you've got a copay or something, but you're not paying to have the shot, the vaccine vaccination shot. But you've got 20-year-old kids, rich kids, affluenza kids, if you will, getting vaccinations while you've got poor people and you've got poor people being of any background and you've got black people particularly black people who really do need this vaccine because it's, it's black people and it's Latinos here in the United States who are the ones, and anywhere in the world, by the way, who are most at risk. Native American population, most at risk. All three of those groups are really at risk and are dying in record numbers. It's Native Americans, then Latinos, very close one and two, and then black people right behind them. In that order, very, very close to group together. And yet they are the groups that are not getting vaccinated nearly, nearly on the same rates as white people are across the board. And this is not about, oh, well, you know, there's vaccine hesitancy. These code words, you know, I talk about language a lot here. And I keep talking about the language that a society, a dominant or an oppressive society, I should say, not, not just dominant, but a dominating and oppressive society uses to cultivate manufactured consent amongst the vast majority of people in the country. So we all end up speaking this very toxic language and often do so to say uh, in the Ma Malcolm Gladwell parlance, blinking. We do it blinkingly and we do it without thinking, which is what he talked about in Blink, the book Blink. Literally, we just adopt the language in the subconscious. It seeps in and we start, we start to talk it and we don't even realize how we began to talk about it and why in some cases. And we don't check ourselves sometimes. We don't check ourselves about why we're speaking this way about something. And we adopt these buzzwords like cancel culture. What the fuck is cancel? Excuse me. Like back to cursing. What the fuck is cancel culture? It's some term made up by the rich, the elites, and the powerful to try to silence people who would have the temerity to speak up against criminality, corruption, 
and the oppression of black folk, brown folk, poor folk. And so this term cancel culture is used as an attempt to silence, to silence you, me, us, those who care about the world. But then, oh, free speech. But then the same people who use the word cancel culture come back at you with, well, free speech when they say something that's misogynistic, when they say something that's racist and anti-black, when they say something that is anti-Semitic. Oh, cancel culture. When they say, uh, excuse me, oh, First Amendment. When they say something that is anti-Asian and racist. Oh, oh, free speech. Ah, okay. See how the game is played? So the language, right? The toxic, poisonous, poisonous, racist language gets used. And in both instances, it's used to silence. Because someone that says something racist or misogynist to you and then turns around and says free speech is trying to silence you from registering your response, outrage, And your own sense of indignation, righteous or otherwise. It's not even about righteousness. It's about, you know, you're responding to someone who is morally bankrupt and without a soul and doesn't give a rat's about anybody but themselves. They barely care about themselves. But my whole thing is, that this is how the language is used. So there's vaccine hesitancy. And it's just pathetic. It's not that black people are vaccine hesitant. We need to start exploring the history of the country. I keep saying this. We need to confront it. We need to address it. We need to start looking at what happened in this country and what still happens in it to black people. And how that continues and how the government and how the medical profession in the United States has been violent for centuries against black people, has committed violent acts against black people who were in hospital, who were sick. And then these people in the medical profession killed them tortured them. Please read the book Medical Apartheid by Harriet Washington. I have mislabeled the title of that book and I apologize to you. In previous episodes, I've been saying it was called Bad Medicine. No, no, no. I mean, you could describe it as bad medicine in terms of what was being done to us, but that would actually really trivialize what was done to us. The book is called Medical Apartheid and it is written by Harriet Washington. I urge you to read that book. It is not the kind of book that is easy reading. But then again, the history of this country vis-a-vis what it has done to black people isn't easy reading either because what people did to us was evil and torturous and violent. And that continues George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, Rayshard Brooks, Tatiana Jefferson, Sandra Bland, Eric Garner, 
Tamir Rice, Michael Brown. That continues. So this language that gets used, instead of just being honest with yourselves and looking at the history, you use these little trifling little terms to make people in the dominant culture, a.k.a. many white people, comfortable with their own standing, as I've talked about this week in previous episodes, rather than do the open heart surgery on the country that you need to do. And then you have people writing articles in the New York Times that try to pretend that there isn't a problem in this country and that there isn't systemic and institutionalized racism and that there isn't a whole history of the medical profession in this country torturing black women, killing black women. And like that still doesn't happen when you've got these doctors going, oh, you know, you're not very sick. You've just got a headache. All you have to do is sleep it off. We're going to send you home today. And then those black women that they send home never, ever wake up again. They die because there's some doctor who says, oh, you're, you've got superhuman tolerance to pain. You're just suffering a headache and you can go home now. Take two aspirin and call me in the morning if you're not dead. I mean, that's really what's going on and a lot worse than that. And so Harriet Washington brings forth a litany of cases from the recent past that you really need to read to understand. And that's why I would recommend that this book be read by you, dear listener. And I recommend, but they're not going to do it. That's why, again, the corporate news media culture and the corporate news media, I'm sorry, I don't miss it very much. And yes, I'll dip in and out of New York Times articles and and some other places, but the TV stuff I'd, I have no, I've got no use for. And there's some good people on those TV networks who are good. I'm not sitting here saying that. There are, but I'm sorry. That is, that is a culture that is closed off and it doesn't speak to the needs of the poor, of the oppressed country, classes in this country, of the everyday black person in this country. I mean, you can forget it. They they don't. And if they do, it's sidelined to a Saturday or Sunday. And given maybe an hour max per week in any meaningful way on a hour-long show, or if it's on every day on a two hour long show, it's five minutes at the end of a broadcast or the middle or the beginning. And then there's no real deep dive. It's just done for entertainment value. And someone getting on Twitter with a clip of them shouting into a camera, but no real conversation. It's all entertainment and clickbait. All of this is to say that we need to get to the bottom of all of this. And speaking of the New York Times, as I did, there is actually someone who wrote a story called, well, it's an opinion piece, uh, opinion story from last month, March the 5th. Ironically, that was the 30-year mark 
of the beating of Rodney King. March 5th, 1991, early on a Sunday morning, was the date on the calendar in Los Angeles, in Los Angeles, California, where you had this horrifying, brutal beating by the state of a black man who was pulled over, tasered, and for minutes upon minutes upon minutes upon minutes, just 10 officers, 10 cops, waylaying him, just wailing on him with nightsticks and kicking him and 10 of them while he's tasered. This is George Floyd before George Floyd, except Rodney King managed to live and he was not in handcuffs and he didn't have a knee in his neck. I'm going to talk about this article next. It's called Black People Need Better Vaccine Access, Not Better Vaccine Attitudes. It's by Dr. Rhea Boyd. I'll be right back. So how do you think you have done so far during this pandemic? If you were to evaluate how you have responded to the pandemic in terms of wearing a mask, in terms of wearing gloves, if you do that, in terms of wiping down your groceries, if you continue to do that a year plus later, physically distancing, foregoing a lot of the things that you loved to do prior to, say, February of 2020. How have you been doing? What kind of grade would you give yourself? What kind of number out of 10 would you give yourself for how you have complied or not complied with the directives that your country's government has expressed and decreed and ordered. Have you been following the directives, whether you are here in the US, whether you are in another country? Have you followed those? Have you been sacrificing in that way, you know, by wearing a mask at all times when you are outdoors? Have you done that? Have you half-assed it? Have you put on a mask only when you see someone coming towards you? And, you know, like I see so many people here do in San Francisco, so many white people actually, again, again, they, they will have a mask, not on, they will have no mask, and then they'll suddenly grab a mask and kind of just cover it over their mouth and nose for a few seconds as you're walking past them. And then they will take it away again once, they, once you pass them. And they'll keep walking. It's just, no, no, that is not how you do this. That is not how you do this. But so many people don't care how you do this. They just want to do what they want to do. And that's the problem. That people don't care that there's a pandemic. At least some people don't. They're just going to do whatever the hell they want. 
So I'm sure that they won't be giving themselves a very high number of anything because they would probably tell me who cares. But for those of you who do care about saving people's lives and protecting people and also safeguarding yourself and others and people of vulnerable populations and people in general, for those of you who actually have a semblance of humanity who care about those kinds of things, how would you evaluate your own performance, if you will, how you've addressed and handled these last 14 to 15 months? Have you been wearing a mask on a daily basis when you go out, if you go outdoors? Have you been putting that mask on when you walk inside a building or inside an apartment building? Have you been physically distancing? Have you been wearing gloves? Have you been how would what number would you get me know have you been wiping down groceries that you buy what kind of number out of 10 would you give yourself and what would your grade be i should put that up as a poll on twitter at the popcorn r e e l if you want to tell me how you did or how you think you've done you can also contact the politocrat daily podcast at this following email address politocratpod at gmail.com It's a new life for me Yeah, it's a new dawn It's a new day It's a new life for me ooh, ooh, ooh. And I'm feeling good Nina Simone, feeling good. Well, I hope you're feeling good on this Saturday. Welcome back. You're listening to yours truly, Omar Moore, on the Politocrat Daily Podcast. So very kind of you to join me here with your ear. Thank you. Thank you very much. You know, I didn't even mention this during the episode yesterday. Yesterday's episode, Friday, April 9th, was the 400th consecutive day episode of this podcast. And I just want to take a quick moment to thank you very much. For 400 consecutive days now, there has been an episode of this podcast. And I am so proud. I am so happy that um, you have chosen to listen along the way. Some of you every day. Some of you have been really kind enough to tell me um, what you think about the podcast and, uh, and it's been really nice to hear those kinds of things. So thank you very much. Continue support and, you know, spread the word about the podcast, please. Get friends of yours, family of yours, strangers of yours <laughs> to subscribe. Tell them about the Politocrat Daily Podcast and tell them about the Politocrat Daily Podcast online store at the-politocrat.myshopify.com. Lots of great things there. Yes, t-shirts are a big part of that, but there is many other, there are many other uh, apparel and other things that are on that website. And there's lots of merchandise and there's going to be lots of different merchandise coming as we go through spring here. The Spring Spectacular Collection is in full flow. Also, various series of merchandise like the Electric Soundwave series of t-shirts, 
that you, I think, will adore. I have designed all of this merchandise. All of it's been designed by me. Moi, yours truly. Omar Moore. And I thank you for your purchases. I hope you will purchase again. I hope you will spread the word about the store as well. So thank you very much indeed. I forgot to mention that it was the 400th episode yesterday of the podcast. But, you know, again, here we go. This is episode 401 now. It's been 401 consecutive days of brand new episodes. So thank you for being a part of it. I really appreciate it very much indeed. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And don't forget to subscribe. Um, I'm going to be doing a giveaway as part of the appreciation and your loyalty uh, for subscribers. Uh, those of you who subscribe to the Politocrat Daily Podcast newsletter at politocrat.substack.com will automatically be entered into a drawing, a random drawing of The chance to win a prize, and it's going to be I Am Not Your Negro, um, the DVD slash Blu-ray, whichever, you know, I mean, I think it's going to be the DVD edition or the Blu-ray edition, whichever, but you have a chance to get that for free if you subscribe for free to politocrat.substack.com, daily newsletter with some of the items I did not get to, some of the items I did get to but wanted to provide links to, and some of the items of commentary from me that you will not hear even on these episodes. So there's something extra and something perhaps interesting to you. Uh, some, something may not be interesting to you, but some things there are going to be, I think, things that you've not seen anywhere else or you are not aware of anywhere else or just not aware of, period. So that's why this newsletter, which you can subscribe to for free right now at politocrat.substack.com, is one of real benefit. Video, audio clips, all kinds of things And I think you will find it to be of benefit. So thank you again for subscription, for purchases, all the above, and for your loyalty to this podcast. I talked about Nina Simone just a few moments ago about Feeling Good, which is the song you just heard a few moments ago, except of it. And I want to get back to what the topic is today, which is about Black Vac. That's my term for it. Black vaccinations. And the way that this society talks about black people vis-a-vis so-called hesitancy, but doesn't talk about, by the way, the white evangelicals who refuse to get vaccinated. They actually are, according to several studies, the group that is most likely not to ever get a vaccination from COVID-19. White evangelicals. Not black people, not brown people, not native people, but white evangelicals. But there is less focus on them 
than there is on us. And when we are focused on as black people, the focus is incorrect. It is all about, ooh, we're hesitant, ooh, we're this, we're skeptical, we're that, but not about a the history of violence perpetrated against black people by the American government, by the medical profession in the United States. That's never the focus, but it must be the focus. And nor is the discrimination against black people when it comes to these vaccinations, where the vaccinations aren't coming to black neighborhoods. They're not. And black people, if they're even in the ballpark for vaccination, have to travel all these miles to get a vaccination. Now, that's changing slowly in some, and I use that word some in quotes with an asterisk as well, and italicized. If I could verbalize something in an italicized way, that would be it. (laughs) What I just said about the word some, how I said that word. That is it in verbal italics. (laughs) But... It's black people that are most at risk. They're amongst the three highest risk groups. As I said earlier, it's Native Americans in the United States, Native Americans, Latinx, and black people, one, two, three, in that order. And again, the rates are very close. Native Americans, Latinx, and black people. And their rates are such, I mean, it's so high, their rates. And yet, they are not being vaccinated, by and large. And that's not about hesitancy. That's about a system. That's about resources. That's about a deliberate and premeditated effort to make sure that the rich and the whitest of white get this vaccination before the people who really need it do that's the story and that's the truth and I like to stick to the truth I like to stick to facts because we know that the richest populations in the United States have already been vaccinated and some of the people in those rich populations I would say a sizable number this is me speculating now I would say a sizable number of them were not essential workers. I will say a sizable number of them may not have been in the medical profession. I would say a sizable number of them may not have had the health conditions that necessitate them being put at the front of the queue. But yet, there are all of these black people in the country, all of the Latinx people in the country, all of these Native Americans, all the Native Americans, all the black people, all the Native, all these who have not been vaccinated yet. Not been vaccinated yet. And their rates are higher. I told you, dear listener, about an article that was written 
on April the 6th of this year by Mariel Padilla, the general assignment reporter for the 19th. Here is the article entitled, Study Finds Black Women Are Dying from COVID-19 at Three Times the Rate of Both White and Asian Men. Just going to read a short portion of this. And this article will be one that you will see in the newsletter for April 10th, 2021. So later on today, you will want to really read this newsletter and you want to subscribe to it again, as I said earlier, at politocrat.substack.com. Despite broad understanding that more men are dying of COVID-19, black women in the United States are dying at a higher rate than any other group other than black men, according to a new study published Monday. The analysis, which researchers say is the first to examine the race and gender of those dying from COVID, has spotlighted some of the gaps in data and research into what is causing disparities. Quote, this analysis complicates the simple narrative that men are dying at greater rates of COVID-19 than women. And quote, Tamara Rushevich, Harvard doctoral candidate and lead author of the study, said in a statement. Now, there you go. And uh, the whole article will be put in the newsletter. There you go. And I'm telling you. There's a reason why this information is not being disclosed. There's a reason why Ayanna Presley, the representative out of Massachusetts, and the Senator Elizabeth Warren out of Massachusetts have had to fight tooth and nail to force cities and states to release information about the race of those who have COVID-19 and who are getting these vaccinations. These numbers have to be released. What are the testing rates? What are the rates in these communities, in black communities, Latinx communities? And both the senator and the representative have had been on this for a long time. And you're beginning slowly to see it. I mean, don't forget, folks, in Florida, Ron Death sentence. Remember, he fired, um, I forget her name, Rebecca, somebody or other, who had been the data research compiler of the statistics in Florida for their number of people who were dying of coronavirus, who were getting sick in Florida from coronavirus, remember? And they came into her house like stormtroopers, like Gestapo at gunpoint, and pointed a gun at her, one of her children, pointed guns, guns inside the home of this particular woman, seized her laptop, seized this, seized that. Because after she was fired, not, this is not because, because there's no reason for that. So I'm not going to, let me erase the word because, because there's no just, I'll use because again, there is no justification for being a stormtrooper, for coming into someone's house and pointing guns at their kids and, break, and basically breaking down the door, all but breaking down the door and going, where is it? Where is it? Shouting like you're looking for drugs or looking for an escaped murderer or convict and seizing this particular person's laptops. She had been fired from that job and she was still publishing information to the public about what was going on, who was dying, who was getting sick from COVID because Ron Def sentence, the Florida governor, would refuse to release that information. 
And he ordered, he had ordered her and others, I think, to lie about that information. And she said, hell no. And she, she was, he fired her. And then she still continued to tell the truth. And then you had these stormtroopers come in, these fascists come in and like Gestapo come in there and point guns in her home in the morning. Pointing guns at her kids and eight of these agents coming. I mean, really? These Republicans, I'm telling you, this is who they are. It's who they've been for a long time. And so she continues to put this information out. And the whole point I'm getting to here with this article I just read from a few moments ago is that this is deliberate, that we don't have these numbers. How come we don't have these numbers? It didn't slip their minds. It didn't slip those who administer all this, these vaccinations and who get these cases sent to them about people who are sick and who had died from COVID. It didn't slip their minds to remember to track this stuff. It didn't slip their minds about tracking this. This is deliberate. Black women dying of coronavirus at three times the rate of both white and Asian men in the state of Georgia and in Michigan. And black men had far higher mortality rates than any other race or gender group, according to this article. The article cites the study published in the Journal of General Internal Medicine by Harvard Gender Science Lab. I mean, this is something that, again, I'm going to put the article up and the study up as well in the newsletter so you can read this. And this is the thing. And this is the conversation that I'm talking about that needs to be explored and had and developed. And stop news organizations, stop analyzing this in your deliberate way from the point of view of, ooh, vaccine hesitancy. This is not, you're trivializing the seriousness here. This ain't about some hesitancy. This is about systemic violence against black people, systemic violence against brown people, systemic violence against Native Americans. And the solution to confronting and addressing this is tell the truth. That's one of the solutions. And let's, be honest here about what is going on. I didn't know this until this week that black women were dying at a higher rate in the United States than any other group other than black men. So really it's black rates that are higher even than based on this study, the black rates are higher than Native American rates. Did you know that black women prior to just hearing me say it to you? Did you know, dear listener, before I said it, that black women in the United States are dying at a rate higher than white men and Asian men and dying at a higher rate than any other group except black men in the U.S.? Did you know that before just now? Three times the rate of white men and Asian men in Georgia and Michigan? Wow. I, I, I didn't know that until this week. And I wonder if you knew that. And black men had far higher mortality rates than any other race or gender group. So really, if you're looking at this particular study, 
done by Harvard Gender Science Lab, black people's rates are higher than anybody's. And where are the vaccinations? You see, you have to piece these things together here. You have to connect these dots. And what happens, in my humble opinion, is that there's all this language and this systemic language and this manufactured consent language like vaccine hesitancy and all this kind of stuff. Cancel culture that permeates social media and fog your brain and appear in tweets and appear on your smartphone or not so smartphone and it clouds everything it's like this drug that you don't want to take but you're forced to take it because it's such a ubiquitous drug <laughs> it's like you're the you know you're the rare fish swimming up against you know swimming against the tide if you're not taking this drug consuming this madness oh vaccine hesitancy and all of these words, in my view, all this language and all this kind of um, oppressive, well, you know, a language created by an oppressing group or an oppressing society is designed in part to gaslight you, in part to shut you down, free speech, cancel culture, and also in part to distract you from what the real deal is, what the real situation is. And all the punditry does. And all the back and forth and the clicking on Twitter. And the videos of someone uh, faux outraging. Some might say that I do that. But this ain't faux. This is freaking real. This is real, baby. I don't do this to be entertaining. I do this because we need to recognize the problem. And we need to solve it. And we need to stop BSing. Black women dying at a higher rate than any other group and three times higher than white and Asian men in Georgia and Michigan? Those two places have high black populations. Those two states. Those two states were also key to Joe Biden winning the presidential election last year. Those two states both have Democratic U.S. Senators. And only one of those states has a Democratic governor. And both of those states have Republican state legislatures. And I want you to keep digging like that, you see? I want you to dig. I want you to dig. I want you to excavate like that. Like that. I really do. I want you to see what's going on underneath. And you you know this, but, but I'm just trying to be a bit more molecular about it. I, I'm just trying to look at the structures and burrow into them and then give you the information to then look at what we can do about challenging some of this garbage or all of this garbage. And some of that's going to be contained in the newsletter for April 10th. So please subscribe to politocrat.substack.com. But this is the thing. This is the issue. And let me now get to this New York Times article that was written last month by Dr. Rhea Boyd. In the New York Times' opinion story, it's called 
Black people need better vaccine access, not better vaccine attitudes. Subtitle, the focus on hesitancy as the driver of lower COVID-19 vaccination rates misses the real problem and opportunity. Dr. Rhea Board is a pediatrician, public health advocate and scholar who writes and teaches about the impacts of racism and inequity on health. This is from March 5th, 2021. I mentioned this before I got into the whole Rodney King, uh, the beating of Rodney King by these four white, well, it's not four white cops, it was 10 white cops and only four of them were put on trial. And of course, they all walked. I'm going to read just a small bit of this here. Despite having one of the highest risks of dying from COVID-19, about twice that of white Americans, and Dr. Rhea Boyd says twice that of white Americans, and she's talking, and I'm assuming female, I could be wrong. So if I have the gender wrong, I apologize, Dr. Boyd. And I, and I will be honest and will be honest. I'll be frank and say I did not um, look up Dr. Boyd um, before I talked about this. Because this is literally off the top of my spontaneous, spontaneous one. I did not. So I should have done that. But let me just read this to you, please. Just a short bit of this. This, this is from Black People Need Better Vaccine Access, Not Better Vaccine Attitudes, the New York Times' opinion story from March the 5th, 2021. Despite having one of the highest risks of dying from COVID-19, about twice that of white Americans, Black Americans remain one of the least vaccinated racial or ethnic groups. With data showing that only 5.7% have received at least one dose of a COVID-19 vaccine. Only 5.7% of black Americans have received at least one dose of a COVID-19 vaccine? 5.7%. Think about that for a second. Let that sink in. Many are quick to blame. I'm back at the article now. Many are quick to blame, quote, vaccine hesitancy, in quote, as the reason, putting the onus on black Americans to develop better attitudes around vaccination. But this hyper-focus on hesitancy implicitly blames black communities for their under-vaccination and it obscures opportunities to address the primary barrier to COVID-19 vaccination. Access. Access matters. A closer look at the data reveals that when black people are given the opportunity, they do get vaccinated. I'm going to read that part again. Since there is all, as I said, this language, and I talk about language a lot. I talk about language a lot on this podcast, dear listener, as you know, if you are a regular listener. I want to read this again because all this language about vaccine hesitancy and all this other nonsense, cancel culture, used, these language pieces are used by powerful people and by the oppressive 
forces in the society to try to shut you down. And I want to read this again, this last part from Dr. Rhea Boyd. Access matters. A closer look at the data reveals that when black people are given the opportunity, they do get vaccinated. Do not blame us. Do not play this like it's black folk who don't want to get vaccinated because they're hesitant. Everybody has questions about vaccines, but just because they have questions about them, that doesn't mean they're not going to get the vaccination. All of this focus on these anti-vaxxer lunatics allowed Minority. They're loud, but they are still a minority, a sizable minority, I should say, a small minority, I should say. And all of the media, corporate news media, focusing on them all the time. And then you've got Facebook and Twitter who give these people platforms, making their voices sound like there's so many more people who have this kind of theory, when in fact it's a small group who are going on social media and lying to black people and misleading them and lying and you've got to just ignore this stuff. But again, to Dr. Boyd's point, a closer look at the data reveals that when black people are given the opportunity, they do get vaccinated. Then she goes into, or then the doctor goes into a lot of this information. And again, it will be in the newsletter tonight, this evening. I'm telling you, this is the game that gets played on us. It gets played. This is the game that the rich and powerful play, that these corporations play on you and with you. That somehow it's those black folk over there who, ah, oh, we just don't want the vaccine. No, that's not how it is. And when you do that to a country and you lie to your citizenry like this, it stinks. And you don't look at the book by Harriet Washington called Medical Apartheid. And you don't get down into the real nitty gritty of the violence that the medical profession has perpetrated against black people and native people and brown people, but particularly black people in the 1800s and the 1900s and and before that and now and sending black women home because you think they've just got a mild headache when they really have a brain hemorrhage or when they really have some real serious problem going on. Oh, go home, take two aspirin, call me if you're not dead in the morning. And it's another systematic and systemic wave of violence, epidemic of violence against black people. And you're not dealing with that because why would you want to confront what you do to us? And then you couch it in language like vaccine hesitancy. It's just so evil. 
And if you're not attuned to the language as a person, just you're not attuned to it because you're so bogged down in your tweets and you're so bogged down in your iPhone that you're looking at every other minute or two. And you're walking down the street looking at it and you're just not aware of anything around you. Like James Baldwin said, if you don't know what's going on, gone on behind you, you don't know what's going on around you. And that's the state of some of us here in the US. We just have no clue. Many of us, no clue. And some of us don't care to have a clue. Don't don't care to want to have a clue. Because we just love being living in a bubble. And it's part of this defense mechanism and escapism. Because I don't want to have to feel pain. I don't want to have to confront the world I live in, the society I live in. I don't want to have to confront the reality of how violent and racist and oppressive and misogynistic that society is. So, yeah, I don't have to deal with that. I'm going to just look at my iPhone for the next three days straight. Vaccine hesitancy. I mean, you know, pretty sounding words that mean jack, that are dishonest. I mean, come on now, folks. I mean, this is really what we're looking at. This is what we're looking at here. And we have to be, I think, a bit more honest and forthcoming about the reality of where we stand. And how can you be honest and forthcoming about that reality if you're entrenched in system speak? Like vaccine hesitancy. Like cancel culture. And it goes back to what I said at the beginning. There is more vaccination supply or vaccine supply in this country than anywhere else on the planet. So how on earth is there vaccine shortages in, say, places like California? I get it. The states stockpiled. The states are the ones who make the calls on how much vaccine goes where and how much they get and that gets, you know, distributed and everything else. But the question is, who's making those decisions and where are those decisions being made and who, as a result of those decisions, benefits? And I think I've given you the answer to that, at least my opinion of what the answer is on that, my take on that. So, I mean, I think we've got to get really real and realer than real about that. So that's just my thought on it. And my whole thing is we are getting vaccinated. I mean, we are. And the other thing that just kills me is that, as I said to you before, all I see here in San Francisco of those who are not wearing masks are white people. They're the ones, but I mean, really, I've, in all of my travels on, in this city, uh, they're the only ones I may have seen ever, maybe three black people not ever wear one in this city. And there's only about three black people in San Francisco. So, so there you go. And I'm one of them. And I wear two masks. <laughs> so that's like two masks for three people. But I, I mean, come on. I'm not kidding. I mean, they are the, I see it all the time. And I, every day now, every day, I've seen this for months, every day. 
And I, and then I, again, I've told you this story before. And then I get people on Twitter telling me, well, where I am, it's, it's everybody's doing it. Well, by the way, let me tell you something. So you've got here in this country, white people being vaccinated in much higher rates. And some of these folks don't even wear masks, even before the vaccination and even now when they should be still wearing them. And then you've got black folk whose health outcomes are so much more severe and they're not being vaccinated at all. And they don't have access to it. They're not given the access. Come on. This is just, come on now. Don't, don't play this, please. Don't play this game. To those of you who I'm addressing, don't play this game because it ain't going to end well. Don't play this game because the truth is right in your face. You just, people just don't want to look at it. Some people don't. Ah, it's just so obvious to me. It's obvious as the nose on your face. What's going on here? And you got some people who are just carefree. Don't give a rats. And they're getting vaccinated. And then the people who need this vaccine in the worst way and want it, there's no appointments for them. There's no access to them. No one's coming to their neighborhoods. And you heard the statistics I read out earlier and that's Harvard study, gender science study. Oh my goodness, black women three times more? Ah, that's just getting... Ah. We just have to start telling the truth here and stop using these pretty sounding words that mean nothing and that end up being part of the same kind of oppressive and destructive pattern of order in a society that tries to make out that black folk are their own worst enemy and it's not an anti-black system and a white systemic violence that is being done institutionally on black people in the medical profession and in government and other areas all over the across the board oh but yeah oh it's not that it's oh vaccine hesitancy come on now just please, please, people. And let me say this to everybody. Please wear a mask. And please, please, once you get vaccinated, continue to wear your mask. And please, exercise physical distancing and staying away from large crowds. And please wash your hands. Please. There's so many people on this planet who don't have access to this vaccination, to this vaccine. Many countries around the world that have been made poor by English colonization and imperialism that will never get that. They'll never see this vaccine. Never. So the very least you can do rather than post your picture on Instagram with a needle in your arm. Not the drug needle, not the junkie needle, but the other needle. The least you can do is tell people. If you're going to post the pictures, tell people to get vaccinated. I know you are. But this is about 
the 90% of the world that still is nowhere near getting vaccinated. And many people in this country, the US of A, still haven't been vaccinated. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore.